0: Yes, um, I need you to do something though, Ben. Since we're not equipped with headsets, it's on. Don't worry, it's just I blacked it out. We can all turn to Matthew chapter five. I want you to just zoom on me for a few minutes. Then we're going to pull away to that. Um, those of you who don't don't know, we broadcast live on on YouTube, and I'm purposely going to do something because I'm annoying. And I liked I just announced that on YouTube. Um, so, well, first of all, I have to. There's two. There's two uh, prayer requests. I haven't had a five minutes to really get on Church Mouse, but there's two prayer requests. Kathy Rhodes has had knee surgery. Uh, Paula's mom, James's mother-in-law. She's recovering well, but pray for her quicker recovery so she can be back. So she's got a bionic knee, right or left? I, never, I forgot. Right. 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 Right, okay. Um, Also, Wednesday, my youngest, not my youngest, second youngest grandson's having surgery on his ear. So pray for Ezekiel. But for this morning, I'm going to have a diatribe because I want to talk to you guys through this. Because I have seen lots of this this week, and I want to talk to you about what's going on. And I want to give you real numbers. Why didn't it switch over, Ben? Oh, maybe because I'm blacked out. Okay, hang on. I want to just do some things for you. Uh, I want to just tell you what's going on. In the world, because I think the news is focused on stuff to make a few of us punch drunk and irritated with and fearful of what's going on. So I want to throw some numbers at you before I go to that, so don't look, because that's cheating. Ready for this? Last year, 1,476 people drowned had a drowning accident and drowned. Every 50 minutes, someone dies from drunk drivers, which keeps Bobby and people like him in business, too. Uh, so that's about 10,511 last year alone that died from drunk, drunk driving. Sexually transmitted diseases, there was 2.4 billion cases of syphilis, gonorrhea, chlamydia just in 2018. Which is yeah. <laughs> Heart disease killed 635,000 last year. Cancer, 598,000. Stroke, 142,000. Alzheimer's, 116,000. Nobody calls any of those epidemics or pandemics. That's it. This is America only. I'm not going worldwide. America only. So you see what keeps me up at night. Let's go worldwide. In 2014 to 2016, Ebola killed 11,325. Libya had, or not Libya, Liberia, had 4,810, Sierra Leone, 3,956, Guinea, 2544, US one. So you can just see right off the bat we're really good at dealing with infectious diseases, right? The coronavirus virus to as of date, and I don't know what date that was, because I think I got this yesterday has 86,033 cases. 39,804 have recovered. The news don't tell you this, does it? There's been 2,942 deaths. I've got the chart. So you know what I have. U.S. has had one. And if you listen closely, they also had other things going on that were extenuating circumstances. You with me so far? The nitrogen dioxide level in China is astronomically high. Therefore, they wore these like this before the epidemic. They're wearing these after the epidemic. And I had a young man that played on my baseball team for years who had cancer. And he says these things are relatively worthless after a few days anyway. So wear them all you want. (laughs) But you're basically believing in your own diseases. And self-killing yourself. But I do want to show you this. So I, I, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just trying to show you how we can be scared by things. And the stock market plummeted basically because China. And if you think about it, what was the numbers in China? About 3,000 deaths. Do you know the population of China was not dented? They probably, they probably had 8,000 births in the same amount of time. So, the population of China has not plummeted, just so you know. Symptoms, ready for this? This is just me being me. This is, if you, where's my pointer? Let's have some fun for a second. This is my pointer CDC. This is the CDC. Symptoms appear 14, 2 to 14 days after exposure fever, cough, shortness of breath. Anybody know what that's called? Or a cold. A cold. You, you realize that. And if you have a predisposed problem, like your lungs are breathing in nitrogen dioxide, you're going to probably die. Here's the best part. Ready for this? Prevention and treatment. Avoid close contact with sick people who are sick. I'm good with that. We even sent one of our coaches home because he was coughing and saying, get out of here. And I said to the other coaches, when he left, I said, Corona. (laughs) Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you're sick. I like that. Why did you call in today? I wasn't dead, but I was sick. (laughs) Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue, then throw the tissue in the trash. Aren't these things your mommy told you years ago for a (laughs) cold... Do you see anything different? You understand what I'm saying? I'm quoting cool this, right? I'm not making this up so we can, have, we can see this. Um, for using a face mask, we're not going to get into that. But wash your hands often with soap and water, at least 20 seconds, especially after going to the bathroom before eating and after blowing your nose, coughing. And see, Listen, let's be smart. Every bathroom you go in now says something about employees must wash your hands for 20 seconds and, and up to the elbow and scrub in for surgery and all that other stuff. Listen. It's a, it's it's bad, but it's not awful. And in my lifetime, there's been some bad things that have come around, and in months they just... We are in the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest facilitators to take care and medicines to come out with. Let's not be scared of something that puts us barely on the map. Barely on the map. The Italian health guy came out who's number three on this list, and Italy has 1,100 cases. He came out and says... The only way you're going to die is from a pre-existing condition that this takes you down. So if you if you have pulmonary issues, don't get sick, because anything could take you down. I don't know what else to say. I'm not a doctor of medicine, nor do I play one on TV, nor do I wear one of these unless I'm using a saw and dust is going everywhere. Okay? And I did it when I used to help uh, paint cars. That was it. Did you ever use you used a respirator right when you painted? Don't tell me you didn't. Never mind. Anyway, that was that was Southwood Bible Church's health moment. <laughs> Open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. I'm going to be really uh, true about this. You can verify these issues. I am all off the Internet. Okay? It's, it's really not. And I believe everything that I get off the Internet. <laughs> Either way, I'm doomed. Right? Somebody will come up to me inevitably call me or email me and say, My uncle died from coronavirus. It's worse than you thought. No, that's one. I don't know what to do with these numbers. I just, sorry, I have issues. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 33, we're going to pick up in. We've been uh, discussing the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking with His disciples. And um, this is where we're at. We're talking about oaths which is kind of interesting in, in light of what's going on. Um, and, I, and I believe, let's just read through 33 uh, through 37. And we've already picked up a little bit on 33. Again, I, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool of His feet, or by Jerusalem for the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black unless you're using dye. That's a whole different case. But let your statement be yes, yes or no, no. And anything beyond this is of evil. Here's where we're going to go a little bit this morning. Prayerfully, we'll get into 38 through 42, uh, because there's not a lot here to cover. Uh, And I think it's indicative of us to understand, we've got to be people of integrity. And since it's directly to the disciples, that coming kingdom, that righteousness, uh, again, let's just review again for the idea of righteousness. Verse 20 of chapter 5 says, For I say to you, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. That their personal righteousness, their aligning with God's word, had to be bettered than what the Pharisees had done. They were externals. Chapter 6, verse 1 gives us a great picture of it because it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing. They were outwardly practicing their righteousness, making standards that were not even biblical standards, and weighing those upon the people. And Jesus is saying, you want, we want to maintain a correct, a correct biblical perspective. What does the Word of God say about these different issues that the Pharisees had raised and had been teaching, and what's the correct interpretation of that? And what is, what is, what is Jesus teaching, not more than Scripture, but what the Scripture holds? Jesus was never really going beyond it. He wanted them to understand what the Scripture actually meant. And most of it began from a mental attitude, not a physical act. And I know most of you have dealt with kids or are dealing with kids, and you know the greatest thing a kid can do is act up. And you try and get little Johnny to sit down and do whatever little Johnny wants to do. And when you finally get him seated, and he's sitting still, like, vibrating, you can know he's doing what he's told on the outside, but what's happening on the inside? Is he afraid of you because you may scold him for acting up, so he, he's doing it out of fear? Or does he say, no, I want to be a, an Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 child. I want to obey my parents. And I'm just going to do what mom and dad tells us. Wouldn't we love those gems? Right? We would love to have a few gems like, or a gem like that. Um, but it doesn't always happen. But we know children have to be trained and corrected to obey. And what Jesus is dealing with is his children and training them to have the heart attitude, not just the physical outward appearance of such. So what does Jesus even teach about these oaths? Now, first of all, Jesus, the Jews had divided oaths. And it's real easy to make things uh, fit so that you can obey the law as best you see fit. And I think a lot of us have done that. Um, I don't know about you. Grocery stores have... Doors that say exit. Have you ever gone in the exit? Come on, only two of you? We've all gone in the exits. And you just disobeyed the law. Because we said, it's closer. I'm here. It's open, whatever it might be. You know, um, I went to Home Depot the other day and the exit door didn't open. And that's why I was going in. I'm just standing here like this. And finally a guy walks out and I, I slipped in. I thought it was great because I was going to. It was easier than walking around to the other side, um, but they found a way to lock me out, and I'm going to. I was going to wait it out. That's just as easy as that. But the Jews did that. They found ways around the laws so that they fit their ways of doing things. So there was binding and non-binding oaths. So a binding oath uh, could not get out of. Um, when you brought the Lord's name in, so if you did an oath and you did something like a, a little kid and says, I swear to God, I hope to die, you know, kind of idea, you brought the Lord's name in, it's got to be a binding contract. And anybody as a child that made those kind of contracts knew they were probably either trying to find a way out of it or trying to prove that they were right and they made these things up. I swear to God, I'm telling the whole truth. And um, if God would be absolutely immediately vindictive, we'd probably have no little kids. Because I don't know how many kids broke those because they were using God's name to say, I'm, what I'm saying is absolute truth. Uh, I read it on the internet. There's also 9 bond, non-binding truths. That was uh, loophole oaths. And if you know anything about that, we all have loopholes. Their loophole was to swear on anything but God. Swear to heaven, swear to earth, swear on my mother's grave. Things that we've all come up with. And those were considered non-binding. You could even say, I swear on my own head, it's a witness. Those were considered non-binding witnesses. And the reason for this is kind of interesting. Because you want a loophole, a reason for the loophole. If you swore in heaven, heaven was considered to the Jew passing away because there'd be a new heaven. They didn't read Revelation. They read Isaiah, where there'd be a new heaven. They also thought there would be a new earth. earth was only temporal. This was not how God constructed it to be or permanently to be. And they also read that from Isaiah 66, that there would be a new heaven and a new earth. So it's temporary. That means your earth was good because it was only temporary. How long? Whatever. Whatever worked. And honestly, the other thing is easy because if you swore on your oath, you took a vow on yourself, how long would you have to live? It was The oath was probably only as good as you lived or as long as you needed that oath to be uh, held by. Uh, thereby, by doing this, by swearing on heaven or on earth or on other things or yourself, you were not involving God in the contractual oath. You with me? And that was kind of the, the loophole they worked out. and and understood them as but jesus was saying that's not what i want from kingdom oriented righteous people you have to understand what we're dealing with we've got to be a step better where, where your yes is yes i don't have to swear i'm just saying it's yes or your no is no um if i make a promise to come somewhere and i can't get there you can count on a couple of things i totally forgot no, nobody's ever totally forgot that they made a promise and they said such and such. Listen, last week, I told you this last week, I'm pre-counseling a couple that's going to get married in April. I'm excited about it because it's Will's youngest daughter and I get to do what he did with my first daughter. I'm not marrying them. I'm performing the marriage because if you say it wrong, it sounds like I'm involved in the marriage. Not happening. Um, but I promised them a pre-counsel, pre-counseling uh, Skype thing, in last Saturday, and totally forgot. Like, totally forgot. And he was really good, because he said, so did I. I said, good, so you're at fault. Because <laughs> you're younger, so you should have remembered these things. All you have to do is, you know, whatever you do to get Skype, somebody to answer the to call. Skype me, or whatever it's called. He didn't do it. So last night, I said, I'm going to remember. I wrote it in three places, and near the, the time came, I texted him to make sure we're on. He says, "He said, uh, we're only good from a 1 t- to midnight. And I go, what is he talking about? 1 to midnight? That's that's not a time frame. I Midnight's not even a time I see. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, right? He said, oh, I meant 1 o'clock tomorrow to midnight. And I go, oh, you're available at 7. Okay? So we made an arrangement to do that. Now, will I keep my promise to him? Well, hopefully it all works out, but what's going to, what's, there's too many mitigating factors. And when we look at that, we want to say, yes, I'll do it. And we want to be people that do that. And when, you, when Jesus is promoting an earthly righteousness, your mental attitude is not holding back that I've got to make an oath to pretend like I am going to be a person of my word. You've got to be a person of your word. That's what it comes down to. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to hold it all the time, because why? I just said it. We have too many mitigating circumstances. Those weren't loopholes. But I'm intending to do this, and the heart's intention's right. I'm not saying, well, I'm intending to do that, but I never want to talk to you. Therefore, I'm just saying, we'll meet and never show up. Um, I'm also a person that says, if I want to meet with you at 2.30, and I'm there at 2.25 or 2.20, and you don't show up till 2.40, that's the last time we meet because you're not a person of your word. Carl Denti, another dear friend of mine, owns a business. He's a printing press guy. He's, he's done publications for years, thick things, small things, whatever you want. He's a printer, okay, and, and, and Leonard knows him. He actually hires people, and he tells them to come to the time to the meeting. He'll say things like, show up at 2.37 p.m., and he wants to see what time to show up. And then the first one of the first things he asked for, I don't know if he still does it, he used to ask for the car keys to their car. You know, what kind of job interview is this? And he opens up their trunk. And he says, How does your trunk look? Now some of you are already embarrassed. I'm sorry you're not applying for this job. But Carl says how they treat their property and the order they keep things is is how they're going to treat my million dollar machines plus. So he says, How do they do that? If their trunk's disordered and they're late, they don't get the job. The interview's over. Because we have to be people of integrity. That's what it comes down to. Um, and that's what we're looking at with the time that this is going on. The the, righteous, the people were not outwardly righteous to begin with because they had no integrity. They had to make up things and, and make up oaths so that they would try to be honorable by saying, if I will keep my oaths by such and such. And here's what Jesus does. He goes through four prohibitions on oaths The first one... I lost my clicker. The first one is no no oath swearing by heaven. In verse 34b, he says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Now he gives a reason why you shouldn't make an oath by it. Most of us would say, oh, I swear to God. But why? Why would you do that? And he's saying, here's why you shouldn't do that. First of all, Heaven is not just some place up there. It's not where the big guy is at. I hate that. That's one of my worst terms anybody can say. I'm talking to the big guy upstairs. What does that mean? That means you got a sixth floor with a heavyset guy living up there? What does that mean? Don't be silly. This is God you're talking about. And when you're swearing by heaven, you're swearing by what involves God's abode. It's His throne room. When you... Pray, and you throw your petitions at God's feet. You're throwing them very right be- before His very feet in heaven. Absent from the bodies, present with the Lord. In what? You know, you can't say it's in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. That's heaven. It's heaven where God abodes, where His boat is. So don't do that. Secondly, no oath swearing by earth. So we have the first one. We won't swear by heaven because this is this involves God. It's just very throne room. Of course you're involved in God. How about by earth? I've looked around the earth, and I can't see too many things around here that are godly. I mean, where does one go to say that's a godly place? Branson's not it, guys. I've been to Branson. I'm trying to figure out what's Branson anyway. I mean, what is it? Is it a, is it a gambling capital? Is it a, a place to soak Christians from their money? Or what is it? I always try and figure out, is it Mormon? Is it Baptist, german baptist what is it what is the gospel because everybody says branson's a christian place no i don't think so it's just branson go out go have fun uh i actually went to a little league world series there carl carl uh, cal ripkin did a little league world series a great place but i didn't wasn't looking for something to get closer to god and some people say baseball is close to god okay <laughs> i'm not going to argue with that we're good um but it's interesting because according to the Bible, it says in Isaiah sixty-six one, "Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool." Earth is God's footstool. It's where and then is a house that could be built for me, and where is a place that I may rest. In other words, if you're saying this is God's house, how do you put God in a house? How do you how do you oh, trim them down there? Now, Psalm one ten says. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool over your feet. So the, the enemies are here on earth and one day they're going to be put at Christ's foot, at his feet here on earth. This is the domain that was made for man to have a relationship with God. We call this place God's creation. And when you involve the earth, which is also a display case for God, do you know the very power of God is displayed here on earth? When you look out at God's creation, do you see his power on display? The other night, I mean, I just stopped. And I looked out because we're on the ball field and this beautiful, beautiful sunset. It was like the sky was on fire. It was great. Do you guys see it? I think it was Thursday night. I went, wow. And the first thing I said to one of the kids, is that God or not? Right? Because who can do that? Can you get out with a flashlight and go over you know, with a piece of glass and say, look what I can do. God can do it through the whole heaven. Make this beautiful, glorious, uh, I guess the best way to look at it is sunburst sunset. It was beautiful. Okay, Do we see the power of God? So if you're swearing by the earth, you're actually violating the very workmanship of God. This is God's handiwork. Think about that. Thirdly, there's no swearing by Jerusalem. It's, it's fascinating that, that they would even do this, that they would say um, in verse 35, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now, who's the great king? Now, everybody's in here is going to say Jesus. <laughs> okay? But that's not what's happening because Jesus is actually saying this. Okay? Uh, see, here's, here's what's interesting at this time. To the Jews, immediately, the great king was David. And every king there followed was supposed to be a Davidic king. And as long as there was a Davidic king, God was keeping his promise to the nation of Israel. And that king would reign in Jerusalem. And the very king of kings and lord of lords saying this to them. And I'm wondering if any of them even blinked an eye when he said, You're swearing by Jerusalem, which is the city... Of the great king. And he's pointing to himself, obviously. But they didn't recognize him as that king. Uh, Psalm 48 verses 1 and 2 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, his holy mountain. That's Jerusalem. Beautiful in elevation. I think we made a song of this, didn't we? The joy of the whole earth is, is is Mount Zion in the far north and the city of the great king. Do you ever look at Jerusalem today and say, that is the city of the great king? That means there's a promise to keep that he's coming to rule and reign. Where? In Jerusalem. Psalm 2 says this, which is a very Messianic psalm. I believe Hannah read this a couple of weeks ago. He says, then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance. Where is that going to happen? He's going to gain that inheritance as his king ruling and reigning in Jerusalem on the earth. And the very ends of the earth is your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall scatter, shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that He, may, he, he, uh, that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So that's a blessing for us this morning. We have taken refuge in Him. So it's not good to uh, violate these things, to swear by heaven, to swear by earth, to swear by Jerusalem. How about this? No swearing by one's head. Now, I know it says not one of you can do anything about the color of your hair. And I know some of you say, yes, I do. But that's only a temporary covering, and, I'm, and that's fine with me. And this is not a rule that says you cannot use uh, Clairol or whatever other product you use to make your, to, to dye your hair. My kids even said to me, Dad, you need a little, uh, what's that what stuff called? Gray, not Rogaine. I, I'm good with that. What's the gray one? One of my kids, I think it was Shana. Shana one said, Dad, Dad, you need some of that gray stuff to get rid of your gray hair. And I go, why? I like it. I, I like it. I'm good with it. It just—it just, you know, it, it makes for things to say fun to kids. Because I say I'm old. <laughs> I have excuses now for everything. Why can't? Hey, coach, can't you pick the ball? Up? Nope. I'm old. Pick it up. <laughs> get, what about the bat? You got to bring it to me. <laughs> I'm old. Um, but the idea here is not that it's—it's uh, uh, what we saying or uh, what we saying truly what we mean. And when he says this, you can't swear by your head, uh, by your, on your head. Um, I think it's interesting because when you're swearing by something, aren't, isn't God in control of you? Aren't you gods? And when you're saying, I swear on my own, uh, head, now, I'm going to say something, and I know I'm, I'm dealing with a mixed bag of people here, so I got to be careful what I say. God knows the number of hairs on your head. And you say, well, that's easy. Mine is zero. <laughs> We're good. But God does know the number of hairs on our head. God, God cares about the small things about us. So when we're swearing on our own head, we're implying that God is not in charge of us. God doesn't have a plan for us. And we're and we're by saying that, we're actually violating the program of God. See, heaven is His. The earth is His. Jerusalem is His. And so are you. To call anything to be your witness, when you make an oath, you're basically calling God out of your program and saying, my oath is good because of something else. I can't keep my word. Uh, Now think about this for a moment. As we took those four, uh, four different items that we've been given, the four prohibitions, can we say nothing or can we say everything is intimately connected with God? Can we see God's fingers on everything? What comes outside of heaven? Nothing. What comes outside of earth? Nothing. What comes outside of Jerusalem and what's God's plan is for Jerusalem? Nothing. What comes outside of you? Nothing. God's in control of it all. Do you not see his, He's intimately involved with all of it? And for you to say, oh, I swear on something else, you're basically saying God's not intimately involved with what I, who I am and my character and my ability to keep my word. The issue here is to be truth-telling people, not to find a loophole so you may keep a word on something or you make up an oath to make people feel good. It's basically amazing. Well, it amazes me how people uh, want to look religious or act spiritual or be a Pharisee. That's what they're actually doing. They're being a Pharisee, and there's no committal from the heart. Now, I'm going to say something, and this may uh, be directed at you or not at you, so don't take it personal. Get over it right now before I say it. But I've done a thousand sign-up sheets in church for things since I've been in church. So, you know, I've been in church since a little kid. I even went to the church that I went to. It was also my school I went to, so I wasn't escaping the grounds seven days a week. Somehow I was there sometimes, okay? But I've seen people sign up to do things. Christian people sign up to be part of a class, sign up for a volunteer list, sign up for whatever. And two, two or three weeks in, you think they're in a campus of college that they've been to the class three times or they've been involved once or they've done something, and then they disappear. And it's always been said in the church, it's, tr- it's a truism, but it shouldn't be, that 2% of the people in church do 100% of the work. That's just wrong. You know Why? Because we can't make a commitment. You say, well, pastor, you don't know. My life's busy, and I can't make a commitment to this or that. And then, Please don't ever tell me your life is busy. Just don't. Because I have zero sympathy, and you're going to say, well, he's not a caring pastor. No, I'm going to say, use a priority list, get things done, and say what you're going to do. If you're not going to do something, don't do it. I have no problem with it. I have a problem with people signing a list, and I say, okay, I'll start a class or do something, and there's 20 people. For two weeks, three weeks, 20, and then a month later it feels like my chemistry class I took in college where there's 300 people in the class and the second drop and ad day comes, there's 25. What happened to all these people? They got Some of them got their military money and booked, and some of them said, wow, that professor's way too hard, which I don't know how they could have said it about this professor, um, and they'd book out a class. Now, maybe that may be my college experience, but I think most of you have taken some kind of college class. There was a large number that first attended that class, and you say, man, this is crazy. Because I went to a small high school. I graduated sixth in my class. I love telling people that story. Because there's only 18 kids in class. <laughs> it wasn't hard. All you had to do was show up. You got sixth and higher. Okay? It was, it was easy. But when I see 300 in one class in college... I had culture shock, but it only lasted a few weeks. But that's the church today, you know. And when you're dealing, and, and I have to be honest with a small church, and there's less commitment. It's you know, and then and then the complaints will come from people that are not committed. And I'll say, well, guess what? And I'm really bad at something. If you warm up to me and you say, I see this need, I'm going to say, okay, you're now in charge. <laughs> Because if you're telling me I'm in charge, I got a lot of things to do. You know, um, I'm even thankful. I love Jack because he comes in and picked up the vacuum I usually walk around with. Now Jack's kind of sucking up bugs and stuff, and I go, "That's cool," because I don't have to suck up bugs. Somebody took that job. Uh, you know, somebody's got to do it, or else you'll come in and say, "Oh, it's a spider," and it's do this, and we can't think in church because that thing's moving. You know, somebody's got to do the little things. But think of this in the overall Christian life. How many Christians have you trusted? You know, I'd see a lot of contractors, I know a couple of you guys are in here contractors and a couple of you guys do other things. They have those little Christian fish on the back of their car. Know what that means to me? You're annoying and you're in front of me. I don't know what those things mean. I really don't. Because all it is is saying I'm a Christian businessman, but can you just be a Christian businessman and do your job and not just do your work do what, do what you're supposed to do? I'm not condemning any of you guys, so I'm just saying. We sometimes do things because we want to get a certain crowd, but do we actually... Listen, people should look at us and say there's something different about those people. There's something different. So if we want to apply the Sermon on the Mount, are we people who keep our words and do those things that we're supposed to? Or do we have to make some false statement up and still not keep our word? And that's why Jesus says here, and I think it's important for us to see this... um, Oh, let, We could just review this. To call anything to be your witness when you can make, it, uh, when you make an oath, you are calling God as your witness to your oath and a promise for He is intimately connected with everything in this world. Okay, our believers, uh, fruit of the repentance type people, remember, here's what he's saying to these believers. They were to what? what? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is His hand. And then John says, show fruit of your repentance. Now, this is not the same as people say, you know, if you believe in Jesus and you're not doing good works, you're not saved. We're not doing that. That's a whole different conversation to this. But this was kingdom-oriented people that were supposed to have righteousness, we've seen it in verse 20, that was superior to that of the Pharisees. Were these those type of people? Because Jesus says this in verse 37. But let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. I think that's pretty clear. Be a person of your word. That's all i really basically saying. Then he says, and anything beyond this is of evil. That's where we've got to take care. That's what we have to see. Because these last four words in Greek are very important. Here's the words in Greek. I'm going to give you a quick lesson. The first word is ek, if you're writing it out. just And not eek, but ek. 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 The next word is t-o-u. And I'm going give you translations. I want you to write them down so you could see it. Next word is paneros. P O N E R O S. Paneros. And the last word is E I M I. I me. Okay, let's go through them real quick and then we'll put them together. Ready for this? Ek means out of as a source. E K means out of as a source. Okay? What is your source as a believer for your Christian life? The Spirit. Our source. Is this Holy Spirit? You with me? Okay. What is our source? T O U is the is is the word the. It's a, it's a definite article the. So he's talking about something very specific. He's specifying. Okay. Paneros is the word evil, and it's an adjective describing something. You with me so far? The evil. And sometimes you have to supply the, what the adjective is modifying. We'll get to it in a second. I mean it's called the status quo verb. That means this is the way it's been, this is the only way it's going to be, and it's never going to change. This is a present, active, indicative. It's ongoing, it's continuous, and it's factual. And the evil is producing the action. Anybody need, need to go through the words again? Because I'm going to put it together and I'm going to show you what, he's, what Jesus is saying here. Okay? I think it's important for us to see this. Oh, I had the four words. There they are. Now you can copy them down. That's helpful for the kids in the room. Now you can see what it is. Now he's speaking Greek, guys. What happened? Ectu paneros, I me. That's his. That's the word. That's it. Simple, but profound. Ready for this? The source is the evil one. If your yes is not yes and your no is not no, your source for your living your life is based on the demon, on the demon Satan himself. It's satanic. Not to keep your word. Well, that? that's pretty strong, Pastor. I know, but I'm not saying that Jesus did. Do you realize if you're not, you don't hold to the integrity Christ wants you to? It's demonic. It's evil. And the other day I was trying to ask myself why I'm so upset because somebody wasn't keeping your word. And I was kind of really, and I was being tested and I had to go through some things to, to check and balance so it wasn't controlling me. We talked about that in the first class. I said, this is so satanic. Am I going to let Satan... Ever, ever test me like this? And I said, no, we'll let it go. We'll move on. And I moved on. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because you've got to be the person of integrity. Those are not, that are keep, not keeping your word. And you got to say, am I going to allow that situation to control me? Because it's evil. It's of the evil one. And since I put this in here, that's the status quo. That's, that's never going to change. The source of of someone having a non-integrity basis and things going on is never going to change. We can put it under the category, that person is never going to be changing their spots. If they're allowing, if they continually allow Satan, until they do what? Let me tell you something about trust. This is so easy, it's the easiest lesson you will ever learn about trust. This is my psychological moment for the day. Think of the people you trust. Did you blatantly trust them blindly or have they set a pattern up that you've trusted them? Do you understand what I'm saying? You just say, say well, I trust you. I'm, I'm not an easy person to get along with. I don't trust anybody until they've done what? Set up a pattern of being trustable. And I'm going to treat everybody as not trustworthy until they become trustworthy. Guess what? I'm never disappointed. I go to a fast food restaurant, very seldom, but I do, and I say to the kid at the counter, let's see if you can get this right. It's going to be an easy order, but let's see if you can get this right. And if they get it right, they've earned that much trust, because most of the time, what? You'll get home from a takeout order and you go, Well, I didn't get nothing right. Whose order is this? Anybody ever have that happen? Check it at the store. Just do it. I'm one of the people, somebody's ringing me up, and I got every sale price memorized. Do you? And the machine's going, Ch-ch-ch-ch. I'm going, yes, yes, yes. No, that's wrong. That's on sale. Right? You don't do that? Because see, I don't trust people because they haven't built up a pattern of trust. But those that have built a pattern of trust, I'm good. Here's the keys to the kingdom. I'm good. Because Why? They're trustworthy, and what Jesus is saying: Are you unlike the Pharisees who are not trustworthy people? Can you be trusted? And He's talking to His young disciples. Listen to this: Either four or twelve—I believe it's all twelve. One of them is absolutely not trustworthy. Anybody know what his name is? Judas. There's another one in here that's not so good either, because Peter will say, "Lord, I will never, never deny you." And Jesus said, before the night's over, three times you'll deny me before the crow sings his song. Peter said, I'll never do that. Because we all have issues sometimes that we're not always trustworthy. But look at Peter's pattern afterwards as he builds up trust. And he does and becomes the man that God wants him to be, leading the disciples, giving him a kingdom understanding until the gospel of Christ is fully implemented in that period of Acts. And then he writes two wonderful books. 1st and 2nd Peter, makes this easy to remember. But Peter became trustworthy. And there was moments he... Wa- you know, Peter was also told by Jesus, Satan wants to sift you like wheat. I think that can go for most of us, right? All of us. So that's good. So James says this. Um, I believe the book of James. You have to really understand the book of James while reading the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? You, you all know who James is, right? Everybody know who James is? Jacob? Jesus' half-brother, I know there's a shock to somebody that may be Catholic, but it's his half-brother. Sorry, I'm here to just ruin everybody's day, I guess. Um, But here's what happened. This poor guy, I don't know what James is like. I know this is, whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but my number one guy to meet in heaven is not Noah or whoever. Mine's James. Because the first question I'm going to ask him, how did it feel like to grow up with a perfect child in your house? (laughs) Because James grew up with Jesus, right? I don't know what the age spread was, but did Jesus ever get scolded? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think so, right? And here's James coming along and saying, I'm watching all the people around Jesus. I'm watching what's happening, because he didn't become a believer until after the resurrection. So he knows all these things. He's saying, how does your lives as believers match to what Christ wanted. And James says this, But above all, my brethren, above all, my my fellow believers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth, or with any other oath. Wait a, wait a second. Is this the Sermon on the Mount? But your yes is to be yes, and your no, no, says so that you may not fall under judgment. He changed the last line from the source of what's going on is the evil one, that you'll come under judgment for that. Now, as believers, we don't come into that kind of judgment. But he's saying, that what you, if you're not, people, you're not people of integrity, it's judgment-oriented. Do you know how strong that is? James, I don't know if you know this. James was not a nice guy. James never pulled a punch. He hit you square in the gut with almost everything. And he's saying, this is what you've got to be like. James is a book. How many people know? It's five chapters. Anybody know how many imperatives are in the book of James. This is almost like the survey done with coronavirus. Sorry. James is five chapters, 46 commands. Not suggestions. He has 46 commands. I was so fascinated, I color-coded them in my Bible with a color pencil. I thought it was great. James is giving commands, and I said, how many of us have really keyed in and followed any of those? And James is saying here, above all, do not swear. And it could even be phrased, stop swearing. Stop doing what the Pharisees were doing. Stop this action. To be people of the Word, listen, to be people of the Word, let's be people of of our Word. If you want to be people of the Word, make sure your Word is good. Make sure you have a... this works out well. I I didn't plan this. Make sure you have a contagion people need to catch. Think about that for a minute. It's hard to go through life saying we're different, we've got something better, we've got a higher accountability, so on and so forth. But do you have something anybody wants? Or do you seem the same as everybody else on the scene? Is there something different about your walk in your life? And I think that's important for us to say. And we could even switch this phrase around. and say, if we are people of the Word, we should be people of our Word. Right? Well, I had this also in my notes. Imagine a society where a man's word is always good. Think about that for a minute. I would yell at utopia! But God already did that for us. In chapter 6, he says, thy kingdom come. That's going to be a place where people's integrity of those in the kingdom that enter the kingdom, that are believers, will be those righteous type people that will keep their word. And this coming kingdom will not allow for perjury, for lying, or for any loopholes because He will rule and reign with a rod of iron. And I don't know about you, I've gotten more in, more in trouble with my tongue than with my feet. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I have a laugh at my expense. Go ahead. <laughs> but it's truth. It's truth. Some of us do do things uh, unthinkingly. And Christ wants us to be in this life thinking His thoughts after Him. I'm going to introduce this next part real quick. So let's read Matthew uh, chapter 5, 38-42. And this one's a little, a little more uh, difficult. Because, um, you know, if a lot of things were held up in the Sermon on the Mount as exacting, we'd have a lot of toothless... Eyeless, no-handed, no-footed people. Because that's the things that Jesus says as very extreme for us to understand. And he quotes in verse 38 from the Old Testament, which is in a couple of places. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now let me say something ahead of time before we read this. We need to understand this. And when you do Bible study, make sure you understand what's being said and why it's being said and how it's being said. And when something's taken out of a middle of a thing, you have to look at it. This is not the whole quote of the whole thing. This is a part of a quote that happens especially in Exodus uh, chapter 21 that we will look at. We're going to spend some time in Exodus and look at this laws. It has to do with personal uh, injury laws. What do you do with personal injury? So if you're studying law, this would be your personal injury laws. But this is not in the beginning of it and not in the end of it. It's like towards the end of it. He pulled out a little phrase and it's not even the whole phrase. And this is what the people were teaching on. And I think why is because the Pharisees say, you knock a tooth out, we're going to knock your tooth out. They were very literal on certain things and they'd love people to just realize they'll knock your teeth out or knock an eye out. But that doesn't give you the understanding of what biblically it says. Remember, biblically, they were interpreting it as they saw it, and Jesus is saying, "No, here's the proper understanding." So he goes he goes on and says this. But I say to you in verse 39, "Do not resist him who is evil. But whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take you to take your shirt, let him have your coat also. And whoever shall force you to go a mile, go with him too." Give to him who ask of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, here's the fear I always have. We're in a sermon on the mountain. Somebody says, that's for my life. I'm going to start doing that. If you start doing this, you're going to be in a lot of trouble in your life. Because when somebody slaps you in the right cheek, and you turn them to the left, you, run, you just ran out of cheeks. Now, what do you do? Because I just obeyed. Uh, I'm sure he's going to be done with me. slapping both Now, first of all, the slap in the face was uh, an insult. It was the back of the hand plopping somebody, not, the, not a woman kind of slapping, but it was, it was, it was meant, meant for the insult. Um, if someone wants to take your shirt and you give them your coat, and what else is he going to come back for? Is he going to rob me blind? So be careful. These, some of these were used even for people to get out of uh, being in battle. I can't be in battle. can't be in war because of these things. Um uh, it, it, when it says to, whoever f- will force you understand what it says, force you to go a mile, go with them too, so we 've got to talk about that because listen this isn't a, this isn 't what we call a hiking expedition. this is something involved in this because you usually go one i handle a mile two's okay but what, what are we going to do this as a uh, cross country thing? How many miles are we going to be involved with if we want to be you know And and some people will again say, well, anybody could do anything to me, because this is kind of saying retaliation is the Lord's. I will be a doormat and let people do Stop that. Stop that. Learn to defend yourself. It's good with that. I have no problem. Uh, Kai will give you some lessons. Krista will give you some lessons. Get some self-defense going on. Uh, Or call them when you need them. I don't know. Uh, uh, But this is not giving somebody the ability just to be somebody's punching bag. This is not what this means. Um, And again, what we have to do is look at the whole law. So we're going to be spending some time in Exodus 21. If you look up here, uh, these are the three places it's mentioned in the Old Testament, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. We have Exodus 21, 12 through 36, Leviticus 24, 17 through 23, and Deuteronomy 19, 14 through 21. The reason I gave you that is because you can go read it now. They're all a little different, but we're going to focus on this one. Um, and it's an easy reason. It's first up. It's first up. Uh, uh, and, and it kind of works for me. Uh, now, I will say this as, as introductory. Um, in Exodus 21, there's eight fundamental laws that are there. They're all involved with each other. They're not in a vacuum. Okay, And God's trying to tell his people who have a constitution with him, how to have life so that nobody infringes on your rights and you don't allow people to infringe on your rights and you know what to take care of. Um, uh, In God's sphere, there is is no such thing as a no-fault insurance policy. Everybody's at fault for something. And God dishes out how fault is to be done, how blame is to be carried out, what's the responsibility, and even what the restitution is. And I'm going to say something, our laws in America are good, God's are better. Remember, Jesus is also dealing with kingdom issues for his time, and I believe the tribulation to come also is involved in this time. We are dealing with Israel's calendar, not the church. So we can't say, this is for the church. Let's carry out eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And I don't want to be in the Bema seat, the judgment place, to say, okay, knock his teeth out. And make sure it's the same. To, I don't know how it works. You know, two front teeth or side. Te- I don't know. You know, I don't know. Maybe we need to have a uh, a dentist on staff or something. I don't know. And an eye. I don't know. I don't know how many people have lost an eye in a fight lately. But that's kind of. And we'll we'll look at those things as we do. Uh, and we also have to ask ourselves how far is the Old Testament law to be taken? What, what are, what's involved in that? And we haven't done away with it. Uh, If we followed some of these things, again, we'd be back to a place where it'd be a safer place to live. I'll tell you that now. Uh, It will not correct all the crime we have. Bobby will still have a job. I think you said that before. Bobby will still have a job, and all our law law enforcement will still have a job, but it would carry out uh, the penal system a lot better, and we'll look at those things. Uh, So the Pharisees had taught an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, But they missed the rest. They basically only were teaching a certain amount of the law, not all of it. And that's what we're going to look at. Uh, They were looking for a kingdom. Listen, this is important as we walk into this, and we're almost done. When we look at this, well, let's just, I think it's here. Um, They were looking for this. They were looking for a kingdom to rain down vengeance to the Romans. Know how I know that? Because it says in the next section... It says, "You have heard it said, you shall love your enemies. I mean, love your neighbor and hate your enemy." Where did they get that from? Because they hated Rome, and one of the reasons a lot of people stopped following Jesus is because he wasn't going to basically run Rome over. He even said something that was really uh, antagonistic. He says, "Render to Caesar that which is Caesar's." You don't know how hurtful that was because they said, "What? Aren't you taking Caesar out? Aren't you setting up? Aren't you going to kill the old Romans off?" And nextly, Jesus promoted a righteousness unlike that of the Pharisees, and we got to keep saying that because that's what he's saying. He's saying, "You have heard. Where have they heard it taught? The Pharisees, that you know, they they were the teachers, the scribes. They were the teachers in Israel, and they have heard it over and over again, taught this way." Uh, now, many of you want to just focus on the New Testament and say, oh, there's so much love and forgiveness, love and forgiveness. Um, but I believe that's incorrect because the Bible does teach as a whole that there is a re- retalii- uh, retaliation aspect and how the law is to be dealt out. And God doesn't give that to say, well, that's just for Israel, but it's a good idea for everybody else too. And we'll see that next week. Let's uh, pray, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think. We're going to stand and sing. 618. I know some of you got to unfold, I know, we've been here. 6.18, some of you can say with me, you get up and go, got up and went. So, but you could stand and sing 6.18, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time as we spent in your word. We're so thankful that we have the guiding light of principles of scripture. Father, to help us see uh, what kind of kingdom you're setting up, what kind of people you want as righteous people, and what would reflect you as a person. We want to be conformed to your image. In Jesus' name, amen.